Welcome to episode 3 of the Origen podcast. In this week's chapter, Venezuelan bassist, composer, educator, and social activist Bam Rodriguez speaks about the lessons learned playing in laundromats, the wisdom of the late Andy Gonzalez, and creating music to be bored. My name is Pablo Aslan, and with Fernando Gonzalez, we'll explore this and more with Bam. Bam Rodriguez has distilled years of studying and performing in Caracas, Brussels, Amsterdam, and New York City into a thoughtful, original approach to music making. His work has a broad range, extending from anchoring the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra to his ambient-like music to be bored. Meditative, restorative, creative, as he defines it. We get into it all in episode 3 of the Origen Podcast. I'm very interested in, in this thing that you mentioned, that uh, the We Are Starting Educational Program. Can you talk a little bit about what are the projects that you're working on now, musically playing and also this kind of educational projects? Every Sunday we are doing, with the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, we are doing Sundays at Vertel Birdland, which is, uh, you know, the band has been playing there for almost 25 years, and now we somehow decided that a pandemic is not going to stop that. So we've been doing that recording remotely and it's a very it's a very beautiful process we record more or less one by one the grand master vince Cherico is always starting the tracks then i lay the bass on it then it goes to arturo and the and the percussionist then it goes to the whole band and we have a team of superheroes mixing and editing the videos brian davis one of the trumpet players from the band is editing the videos i'm doing a superman job then we have Oscari and peter carl doing the um, audio and that's going on every Sunday. Aside from that, well, I also take part of some of the educational programs of, uh, of Alja. In fact, until 20 minutes ago, I was 30 minutes ago, I was uh, doing a masterclass for the Alja's Digital Village about um, multicultural perspectives in music, which is a class that actually I did at UCLA in February, beginning of February. So it was really, you know, before this whole thing started. I am releasing a new album on Friday with one of my bands, South by Northeast, with which, by the way, we released a, a video clip today, which is another of the projects that I'm working on. I've been doing uh, stop motion videos, and this video clip I made with stop motion and, you know, creating my own backgrounds and characters, editing, making the music, etc. But it's really interesting because it connects with another project that I'm working on, which is called Music to be Bored, which is a set of sort of meditation music, music to, you know, breathe, be chill, write, sleep, do whatever you want. And I'm doing a daily, an hour long live stream. This happens at 9 p.m. on Facebook and Instagram. Parallelly, I'm doing the, well, what you mentioned, that we are starting a school. That's an idea that started on January 21st, 2020. I was flying from North Virginia to Washington, D.C. with the orchestra. It was 5 a.m. I was on a flight reading David Sedaris on one hand and trying to make a time lapse of the sunrise with the other hand and falling asleep. And as I was falling asleep, suddenly I wake up and I realize I know what I need to do. I need to grab students from all over the world in places where, you know, there are challenging circumstances, people that don't have access to private education or to a plane ticket to come to New York. And I will pair them up with master musicians from New York. The whole thing will be free. Nobody will have to pay for anything. 
and they will have lessons. We started with two students in Haiti and two students in Venezuela. By now, we have students in Costa Rica, Haiti, Venezuela, U.S., Morocco, Tunisia. We're working on Nigeria, Mali, India, and Nepal. The way I found teachers is that I just made a post on Facebook. By the next day, I had 43 teachers from New York. And some of them are, you know, the musicians that I play with or musicians that I admire. That proved me that we all had in our lives a person or more that did something for us that was unnecessarily kind and changed the course of our history, which probably means we want to do that too. We want for somebody else to have that person and to have that life-changing proof of love and dedication. In one day, I had 43 people that seemed to agree with me. A week later, I had like 70, and now I don't even know. We all have benefited from someone who had an act of kindness or stopped to teach us something or share something and all that. And the other thing, too, is to be part of something that is larger than ourselves. Basically. It cannot end or start in us. And I think... Yeah. I think we all, deep inside, there's a part of us that understands that if we focus everything on us, we're most likely going to be lost. Yeah. And I think many of us understand that. Many of us human beings understand that. And when you make your action not about yourself, you're expanding automatically and you are learning things about love, about empathy, about connection, about growth, about insert word here that you wouldn't learn. The act of giving is equally as emotionally fulfilling as the act of receiving. And when we understand that, there is an expansion of love that happens. A few days ago, I was doing an interview for NY1, apropos the um, Alja Emergency Artist Fund. And the woman uh, journalist, Stephanie, very intelligent journalist, I loved, I loved talking to her. She asks, wait a minute, you guys are having a hard time. You're artist, you're out of work, you don't have, you're not having income, and you're helping people? How does that work? And I think it's actually what you say is, it's not about us, it's not about me, it's about, no. I'll, I'll help some human being, that's me or you or them or whoever, mm -hmm. that's already better, and somebody might help me, or not, or I mm -hmm. might help myself, but if we all do that, then the collective grows, period. I want to take a, um, a minute to talk about music and, and your formation. I remember reading that you play with someone like Betsaida Machado, a fantastic vocalist in Venezuela. But now you're doing also this project like Music to be Bored with. Can you talk a little bit about your musical education and your going to Europe, the time that you spent in, in Brussels and in Holland? And Can I also talk about my musical on education? And education, yes, <laughs> absolutely. We all did so, that. Look, I started music by, like many people in South America, by having a half-broken guitar at home. There were many musicians not too far from me. Some of them would come home and jam, and I was very small. I was about four years old. And I would just kind of look at them, you know, and try to 
remember what they did and sort of get a feeling. I would fall asleep next to the drums while they were jamming on some Rush or Genesis or King Crimson. Those were my lullabies. And so I wanted to learn music. So I started to ask them to show me little things and they would show me like a song in the guitar or whatever. Eventually, I found a music teacher that agreed to teach me for free and she would take me, you know, for extra hours. Who led me into going my first musical audition in which they told me that I, they couldn't let me in. I, I was not good enough. And then I went to another place to learn bass. I used to play electric bass and I had no idea what the upright bass was. And so then I get to the bass room, which was full of these large violins. Before I knew it, I was playing Rush songs on a double bass because it's all I knew how to play. So I studied a couple of years in the Conservatory Simon Bolivar in, in Caracas. I was part of uh, some of the orchestras in the renowned El Sistema, you know, uh, this youth orchestra program in Venezuela that teaches all these kids for free and gives yeah. education and rehearsal space. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time, but it was a life-changing experience because, or a life-defining experience because a lot of my friends in the neighborhood where I grew up were maybe getting in trouble and <laughs> I was rehearsing. So while they were thinking that doing certain things that were not very good was cool, I was thinking that Mahler was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> I thought Bach was the coolest thing in the world. I still think that. So I was there for about a year. Then I had to stop. You know, it was impossible for me to get to the school. It was the other side of the city. It was a dangerous city. I was young. So I stopped for a few years, went to university to do chemistry and math and quit immediately. I did another year with the orchestra, with the same teacher. And then I had an opportunity to go to Europe. Turns out I have a European passport. So I left. I left with a base, a backpack with clothes, 40 euros and a place to stay for three weeks. Long story short, I ended up studying in Brussels. I did a, a bachelor's in music and a master's in music there, in jazz. Then I went to study in The Hague and in Amsterdam, where I did another master's in sort of jazz and world music. I did a thesis on, on the evolution of 6-8 rhythms all throughout continental Latin America. Before I knew it, I was on a program, on an exchange program, to come to New York City. So I spent a couple of months here. The first day, I knew I wanted to move here. Not because of musical reasons. I saw some people arguing in the street. I was like, yeah, I'm moving here. <laughs> they seem to like it. They seem to enjoy it because they keep coming back at it. And it's been about seven and a half years that I'm here. I think the biggest part of my musical education was here because I met musicians that knew the balance between different sides of the world, different styles, different perspectives in jazz, and how to combine those in an organic way. So I learned from master musicians like Franco Pina was one of my great teachers here. Arturo, well, the master musician in the orchestra has been the biggest school, you know, and the list is endless because we all know how New York is. You were talking about Music to be Bored, which is a project with modular synthesizers and electronic music. I grew up listening to Emerson Lincoln Palmer and I saw his massive Moog rack of modular synths. And I always thought that was super cool, but also something that only superhumans do. And then eventually I got my hands into one and I thought it was pretty cool, so I started expanding. And since it's, a, it's an instrument that is very nice to create drones and textures and, and to go deep into sound, I ended up doing a lot of that. So now it's actually one of, my, one of the things that consumes a lot of my love, that uses a lot of my love. But I also mix it with my background, you know. I, why not mix a shabby rhythm or a festejo with uh, some bleeps and blobs?
when I was mentioning about the musical education, I wasn't just implying all what we learned from the page. Our education comes from so many different places and different people and all that. The question was a little bit on how you feel that you're synthesizing that because you are mixing a very broad bag from the music from Venezuela to your things in your work in, in Europe to now, for example, all this stuff that we are talking about, Electronica. And I wonder how, how is that process of putting that together? How do you work all these different things? So if you, look, if you take a look at my blog, just like that, it's a um, quarter Belgian, quarter Mexican. <laughs> the other half is a mess. But the Belgian seems to have some North African in it, I think, because of the way they look. And the, that mess of a half is Spanish, Italian, native, yeah. North South American, North African. And the more I, I met new members of my family, I was like, wait, I'm like you. I was born in Venezuela, but I lived in Venezuela, I lived in Aruba, then I went to Belgium where I have some family, I went to Holland, I came to New York, I love to travel to places I don't know. I think what I'm doing in music, I guess is an extension of what I feel I am. I spent years doing jazz, only. You know, I, I learned so much from it. But then I went back to some of my different roots, Central American roots, my South American roots, my other continents roots. I realized I love that. In fact, many of us could, could agree, us immigrants learned to love the music of our land when we were away. I know many people like that. I didn't necessarily like traditional music. It sounded out of tune. Now I love it. I think it was a very organic process. I didn't, I didn't wake up a day and said, oh, I'm going to learn to play a Moroccan bass and also modular synths and also upright bass and play North Argentinian music and South Moroccan music. Uh, you know, and jazz. I think one of the reasons why I could relate to them is because if you look at many of the traditional rhythms of, around the world, they have many similarities. Right? You, you hear a shabby from Morocco and you hear a festejo from Peru. Things sound the same. Sounds, I mean, it's so similar, you know? It's something that Pablo and I, we were discussing. It's sort of like when, for some of us, we thought that, well, the music in Latin America was Spanish music, with African music, with indigenous music. I came to discover not long ago, for example, the music from Spain came pre-mixed with music from Africa and the Middle East and a number of things. So there is no such a thing as the pure this or that. And being in New York, obviously, you are in the middle of the great mixing place. You know, go to any village, go to Tucumán, go to a house where they play music and then go to the next house. Believe me, they play different. This is everywhere. So folk music is like that. Yeah, there is a set of standard things that, by the way, developed throughout the years. But I agree, there's no such thing as, as a pure thing. With the orchestra, January 2019, we went to um, Abu Dhabi to do a project called the Cuban Haliji Connection, which was mixing, you know, Afro-Latin music with music from the Gulf, music from the Pearl Divers, we had uh, Yas Ahmed from Bahrain and UK. We had Bomdi One from Kuwait with a group of master percussionist pearl divers. Ali Obed from the Emirates. We had Malika Zara from Morocco. And I remember one day after rehearsal, it was the rhythm section hanging out with the Kuwaiti percussionists. They started playing one of their rhythms in this sort of frame drums. Carly Maldonado, one of the percussionists of the, of the Afro-Land Jazz Orchestra, turns around and he's like, wait. That sounds just like plena. 
And not only it sounds like plena, but the instruments actually look similar. So the jam starts, and between Kuwait and Puerto Rico, there is a connection. One day I was walking in Jamal El Funad, the main square in Marrakech. I hear a sangueo from the coast of, of Venezuela. No. No way. And this was my first five minutes in Morocco. I got off the bus and I heard this. So I started going through the music and it was Moroccans playing this rhythm that sounds exactly like a sangueo in different instruments. And I couldn't believe it. And I thought, yeah, there is no such thing as pure. It's all influence. In Spain, you have North African, Middle yeah. Eastern, European yeah. music. You know, Africa, Spain, the Americas. But it's also a back and forth. Been a back and forth for a long time. Yeah, pure... I don't know. don't know what that means. I want to explore a little bit something that is a project that I really like, which is the idea that you guys with Arturo taking music to places in the Bronx, like laundromats, boxing ring, all these different places. And the very concept of going to where the people is and their places. How is that experience and how it was for you? What, what is the reaction of the people? What happens in the music in those places? I think concert halls we were invented in the past hundred years of the thousands of years of music history. So it's, it's kind of new. This whole pay a ticket to come see me play, it's kind of new. Actually, throughout history, it was the opposite. It was, uh, we're the people, let's go there to play because the people are there. And because if we go to them, the, the party is going to start, you know? Or the worship or the uh, trance or whatever music was for so many things. So I think it is nothing but going back to the roots, going and playing for the people in their places, in the places where they hang, is <clears throat> nothing but going back to the roots. And I can tell you today, after years of being a musician, that's probably one of the most beautiful things I've done in my life with music. I remember playing in <clears throat> yeah, boxing rings, car washes, auto glass, public square, laundromats. I remember this particular time we played in a laundromat, uh, Longwood laundromat. Uh, the musicians were Arturo, Will Calhoun on drums, uh, Cali Rodriguez Peña, and Alejandro Aviles, and myself. <clears throat> and we were collaborating with the Lightfeet dancers that any New Yorker or person that has visited New York that has got into the subway has seen at 9 p.m. or whatever time these break dancers almost breaking everybody's faces but somehow not so we called them and we all went to this um long laundromat around 6 p.m started setting up people were looking at us like what mm. professional equipment professional sound you know there were some master musicians in the room and uh, we started playing and there was you know Grandma with her kid, um, hanging, doing the laundry. Then another person. There were like three people. Within 15 minutes, people didn't fit. There was a, a guy with a giant white parrot dancing 
<laughs> there were kids and babies sitting on the on the laundry machines. Some of them were sleeping, by the way. The break dancers were dancing. At some point, we break into a jam with Will playing some electronic drums, play, playing bass, and the dancers playing, and people just going crazy. Going crazy. People went crazy. Um, <clears throat> so, again, I close with what I started. It's going back to the roots. This is this is how it's been forever. We just invented this whole pay a ticket to come see me. I should pay to I should pay with my effort and with my love to go have this exchange of culture and love and movement and hang out and let's have a good time. Sometimes I think as musicians we forget that before notes and before a lot of stuff, the thing is sound. The rest of the stuff and how we we work around it is a whole other thing, but the basic idea is sound and the pleasure of sound. That's the impact that people had when you went to play in a laundromat. I'm sure they were not like uh, having any historical or stylistic references for them and for those kids. And there must have been just the, to be in the presence of sound and live yeah. musicians. Uh, that's that's the, the biggest impact you can have. Some of these people didn't, some of the kids didn't know what live music was like. Right. And the concept of instruments, you should have seen the faces of some of these kids and the feeling of, we're musicians, we know who it is, you know, the feeling of being in the room and having the air, not just your ears on great focal or biodynamic headphones, but the entire air moved from that area, you know, kids were mind blown. The other thing, Bam, too, is, is the fact that we are so much in the society of the spectacle. We are so used to have things mediated either by TV or video or computers and all that. To have this thing happening in this place that you went to do laundry, that I think is, is, is fantastic because that breaks all the preconceptions that we have about artists, audience. What you've been doing, Bam Bam, in the last uh, month and a half since the the lockdown, where you've been um, coming on to a Facebook Live at nine o'clock and with your with your synthesizers, and you're not you're not performing. I mean, you could very easily have grabbed your bass and and played bass solos or even play bass with your synthesizers, but you have this sort of process music that you're making with your synths where it rewards like staying there and listening to the subtle changes. It's very minimalist what you're doing. I, I just wonder in general how you're feeling about your connection with the people who listen to you and also your relationship with that hour of music making since you're an active performer to this day, but in a different format now. One of my favorite things in the world is questions. I, I have this friend called Pivo Marquez percussionist from, from Venezuela, master traditional percussionist from Venezuela. We did this tour, trio, him, Juan Chorrerami, and we were in Chicago, and he starts talking about, he's like, yeah, you know, we are doing music that goes to one place to another and has this change, and changes to this meter and this key, and whatever. But we don't do much music to stay in a place. When he said that, it dawned on me, it clicked on me that I love that. I love the feeling of staying, of stillness and finding the micro movements within that stillness and sort of realizing that they're not so micro, <laughs> that they're actually pretty huge. Movement and stillness are so close together. Try to stay still for, for, for a minute 
and you will see all these movements that happen. If you even manage to stay still for a minute. Most human beings can't even. I can't. I go for like 10 seconds and I move. I always got a pleasure from that. And in fact, the way I ended up playing music was a little bit like that too. It's something that is there in nature. Look at the tree, it doesn't move. Got close and you're like, oh, well, wait, it is moving. And <clears throat> so this music for me is a lot like that. It, you, you know, you asked me about my experience to the audience and I, my experience to myself. On the myself side, it's a lot like that. It changes very little by little. And sometimes the changes are minimal. And for me, it's fascinating to just let myself be filled with that music and notice how a little change can be huge. And that takes me to a process that <laughs> reminds me of what's going on now. Because the biggest change for me is the living room and for all of us. And we have been forced to, uh, to stay, forced to find the nuances within the confinement of four walls. It relates to what's going on for me in my head. I have no idea who's listening other than people that write and that little number that Facebook and Instagram says. The thing that I find that connects me to the audience and that I guess connects them to me is the things they tell me after or during. I did this the first time and then a couple of people wrote me saying, hey, this is beautiful, uh, do it again. So I did it the second day and then the third day. And then I realized that some people were actually having this as a soundtrack of one hour of their days. Some people every day. A lot of people are there every day. I thought, okay, this is going to be my community time it's also my 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 me time because i'm believe me i'm having a blast most days some days it's very difficult uh, but i'm having a blast most days but it's also my community time because they are listening to this thing that i'm also listening to while they're doing their thing and i'm doing my thing i mean i'm performing but i'm do, i'm going through my own thought processes and feelings and whatever for me it's a it's a it's a way of making community that is different than the stage, than, oh, look, I'm performing this thing, I'm playing this bass solo thing that I love and I work so hard, so I want to show you. It's more like, hey, check this out, I'm digging it, and if you dig it, listen to, and we're doing the same thing at the same time, even if we're far away. So that's my closest thing to being together that I have found so far. I heard you in an interview talking about interviewing Andy Gonzalez because you were writing a, a tune for him. Can you talk to me about a little bit about that experience with Andy and your conversation? I suspect that it was not too long after that he died. So uh, this had to be a very profound experience for you. I think the first time I understood what a bass player was, was Andy. It was a, a recording of Tito Puente at the Village Gate. I forget what year. He's just playing this bass line, Timon Bo. In the recording, they call it Skin Jam. And they play that for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and conga solo and bongo solo and another bongo solo. And, they, and this guy is holding it down with so much flavor. And I was like, oh, that's it. It's the infinite 
within a small moment. The infinity of time within a, within a period of a second. That's what I felt with him. And expression in each millisecond of each note. I mean, needless to say, I grew up listening to, the, to all the records, you know, that he was on. He, you know, growing up, he was one of my examples of what being a bass player, a musician is, and what is being a um, critical thinker within a form of art. When we started Blitz, which is the project that we're talking about, about the Bronx, the first season of Blitz started by interviewing some lifelong residents of the Bronx, and I got to interview Andy. I mean, they were like, oh, by the way, you have Andy. So mm -hmm. I went to his house, and we had a, a, an interview. It was, it was ours. Played his bass. He played for me. I played for him. The day he died, I decided to make a tribute for him. So I made this little character that is Andy in my head. I built this origami bass. I made this video using that same bass line that got me hip into bass and into Latin jazz and into Andy. Was there one thing that you remember from that conversation? I imagine you told me that you spent so much time, but is there one thing that stayed with you after talking with him that afternoon? Yeah, a few. When I grabbed the bass, when he gave me his bass to play, the way he would look at you, he would not move a hair and listen with so much attention. You have to understand, I'm like playing in front of my hero. <laughs> was inside of my head, I was like, what am I doing? What am I, what, what am I doing? And he was looking at me with his look, you know, everybody who knows him knows his look. That did a, a little click in me of, of levels to, um, to appreciate a moment and to be connected inside of a moment. He also spoke about, about the way he would listen to, to, to the people, you know, playing in, in his times, like Cal Chader and all this, and how he would be hypnotized. Years later, I started learning about musics around the world that are made for trance, and something clicked, something linked the two things. His way of describing his process of listening, and the way I got to experience these musics in other countries where people fall into trance, something very similar, and I think I got a little bit of both inside of my something. So that's something I definitely got from Andy, especially from the day of his house. This thing of being inside of a moment deeply, you know, being able to play something so... that seems repetitive, but actually not at all. And it's so trans-inducing, you know? I had an opportunity to talk with him, you know, at great length at one point, and something that stayed with me 20, 30 years later is how generous he was with what he knew and with his time. Do you know that sometimes, you know, unfortunately, we feel that we need to protect ourselves and play this tough exterior, or I know or have more than you, or I... This was a guy who was completely open, never made you feel that, how can you ask this, or how do you know, don't you know this? And I thought that that was very generous. It brought you into the music. And again, 20, 30 years later, it still stayed with me. The, the concept of music being something we need to protect, or that what I know about it matters. It's also fairly new, I think. Mm. Music was always about community, 
worship, grief, or party. There was always master musicians and people, you know, the old people, basically. But this whole thing, this institutionalization of music, it's fairly recent. Again, a couple hundred years old. True masters understand that. I like to see them that way. I like to see the people that I consider are true masters that deeply understand that. You know how much this guy knew? It's mind-blowing how much knowledge he had about this music. And I agree with you. He would just give it to you. Not care. He give it to you. I see no point in being protective about something that spreads love. If I'm being protective, if I'm keeping it to myself, then it's not something that is spreading love. Then it's, there is something that I'm doing for egocentric purposes or something, selfish intentions. But if I believe that music is spreading love and well-being and hang and community, then I'll do the opposite of protecting it. <laughs> Take it. I don't want it. And that's our interview. In today's episode, we heard music from Bam Rodriguez. Forward by South by Northeast, just released. Yoga Flow for Beginners. And, of course, Skin Jam by Eddie Palmieri with Andy Gonzalez on bass. And that's a wrap for episode three of the Origen Podcast. The Origen Podcast is hosted and produced by Pablo Aslan and Fernando Gonzalez for the Origen Collective, a diverse New York-based group of Latino music makers. Join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you will find links to our live stream concerts and other events. We would love it if you subscribe to this podcast, which you can do on Apple or Spotify podcast page. Until next week, thank you for listening. <laughs>